Well, good morning, Rick. I've been looking forward to sitting down and, and continuing on in our First Timothy series. And uh, we've got uh, a really simple, easy topic today. And <laughs> Yeah, this one is a biggie. And I'm, I'm happy to keep talking about it because this is the kind of thing that a lot of us ha- feel like we've been given um, firm teaching on. And what I mean by firm teaching is it comes with firm boundaries and saying, don't deviate outside of this. And there's this feeling like we think we know um, what it's supposed to be. But when you really dig into it, it's easy to feel like, oh my goodness, I'm finding all kinds of things that I've never heard about. And so it can be a little bit discombobulating. It can feel wobbly. It could be like, well, I don't, I, I, I don't even know where I stand now. I can relate to all of that, and and we'll probably talk a little bit about why I feel mm-hmm. uh, that I can relate to that. But it is good to talk about. And so, however you feel is how you feel. If you feel uncomfortable, if you feel exi- excited, if you feel anxiety, if you feel unsure, whatever you feel, give yourself permission to feel that. Right. And so we're just we're on this journey. We're on this journey together. And our church, our community should be the safest place in the world to go through that. Mm. Because guess what? Your love, your acceptance, your value, all of those things is not contingent on you landing on a particular side. Mm. We, so just yeah. to, to, for context, in case anyone is yeah. is not tracking completely with us, yeah. we're in the section of First Timothy and the second part of chapter two mm-hmm. in verses 11 through 15 that uh, I think almost everyone would agree are some of the most debated and controversial verses in the Bible, certainly in the sure. topic of well, of it's demonstrable. The role of like women. it's it's objectively, we're objectively able to demonstrate by the number of books, the number of conferences, the number of websites, and how people are are talking about it right now. Oh my goodness, yes, this is, it's at least one of the most. I think, at least right now, it is the most controversial passage in the entire New Testament. We're talking about a woman should learn in quietness and submission, and Paul said, I don't permit a woman to uh, teach or have authority assume authority or exercise authority over man, depending which translation you go with. Uh, if you go back all the way to the King James Version, it says usurp <laughs> authority. Um, it's, it's, it's important to notice that uh, different translations tra- communicated differently, and maybe that's something uh, that we should talk about. And then uh, there's reference back to Adam was created first, and then Eve, and it wasn't Adam who was deceived, it was Eve who was deceived, and a woman will be saved through childbirth Mm -hmm. if she continues in um you know faith and holiness and with propriety so yeah we're digging into all of that theologically uh ridiculous statement is also a statement that probably comes with a lot of ache and hurt for a lot of women too i i just you know i i just want to say if you if anybody who out who's out there Anybody who's out there is feeling like, man, this is so obviously clear what this passage means. Why are we even talking about it? I would just invite you just to just to just to listen, just to hang in there and dig in with us. And if you do, I think you're gonna discover, oh my goodness, there's so much more here than maybe I've given myself permission to really acknowledge. Mm-hmm. So before we get into any kind of specifics mm-hmm. about either the verses or about the topic, can we just address what can feel maybe a little angsty for some people when sure. we come to a certain topic mm-hmm. where we know that people who deeply value the inerrancy of scripture, who consider scripture their highest authority, who deeply love that Jesus. Group. Yes. Count me among <laughs> them. Both of us, absolutely. Uh, but Oh, you too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> just, it's just there's the no focus doubt of my whatsoever. Life. <laughs> no doubt whatsoever. Yeah. But when people who come from this place of loving God's word mm-hmm. and loving the way of Jesus and wanting to follow him land on, on not just different, but even opposite views on mm-hmm. how a certain passage is interpreted, yeah. um, can, let's just talk through a little bit about how to approach a topic like that. And this isn't about how do we disagree with someone in a yeah. kind way, but uh, but when we get to these kinds of topics where yeah. there are are views mm-hmm. that uh, that are very much in conflict with each other, and both people see it for biblical reasons. How do we how do we navigate our way through that? Yeah. So let me. I want to start here. 
And I want to go to something the Apostle Paul wrote to a different church, the church in uh, Galatia. Uh, he says, you know, we've quoted the, the fruit of the Spirit so much, referenced it so much uh, over the past few months. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there, there is no law. But what did he say right before that? He said, this is what the Spirit produces in those who are walking in the Spirit. He says, but he contrasts that right before this, and starting in verse 19, with the acts of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I think it's just super easy, super duper easy uh, for church folks to read that and hear that and really latch on to, yeah, I'm not doing debauchery, whatever that means. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not doing orgies. I'm not getting drunk. I'm not doing the wild stuff. Great. Wonderful. That's not all he mentioned. He also included things like dissension, factions, discord, envy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. These are the kinds of things that can and do exist in church families. These are the kinds of things that can and do exist inside of us. And it's just as urgent to say, you know what? Dissension and faction have to be, res- have to be repented of and turned away from and not tolerated in the same way that we wouldn't tolerate witchcraft mm-hmm. or debauchery in our church. Mm-hmm. And so... I, Listen, wherever you land is wherever you land. Whatever you think is the best understanding of the passage, I'm going to respect you and I'm going to respect I'm going to respect your opinion even if I disagree. But what we cannot tolerate are the acts of the flesh. We cannot tolerate dissensions and factions and and envy and fighting. We can't tolerate that. Mm-hmm. And so, however we approach it, we're just going to approach it saying that's not going to be part of my approach. Like that's just that's totally off off limits. So if we're going to disagree, we're going to disagree in a way that models the fruit of the spirit, not the acts of the flesh. So mm-hmm. is it? Are you cool with starting there? What do you think about that? That's a good disposition for starting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, again, make sure that I'm being a good listener. Mm-hmm. So how do we like how do we approach it? Well, what, what do we do? Yeah, when, let's let's say let's even take it out of the realm of disagreements mm-hmm. and and imagine that someone's coming to this topic having never considered it before. Sure. And they're saying, okay, what do I do when I've got this voice over here that's a pastor that I trust who has a very different opinion than this pastor over here that I trust? And both of them love God, both of them love his word. How does an individual person, one, reconcile mm-hmm. that, and two, figure out what they believe? Okay. So instead of doing two things, we're going to do three things. Okay. The first thing is just, well, number one, I'm not going to use this as a license to fight or to create factions or dissent or anything like that. Just not going to do that. So that's just number one. I'm, I'm embracing that. Number two, I don't have to reconcile that. So Pastor A and Pastor B both seem like they're good people. Both seem like they love the Lord. Both seem like they like they really take the Bible seriously. All of those things can be true and they disagree. They they've just processed information differently. I don't have to reconcile. There's nothing to to reconcile. It's just that can happen. You can be a brilliant, good-hearted, Jesus-loving person and see the exact same thing differently than somebody else who's a brilliant, Jesus-hearted, good-hearted, Jesus-loving person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's totally allowed. That's happened, it happens all the time. I bet that happens in your marriage, I bet that happens in your friendships, I bet that happens, you've seen that happen at church, all those, absolutely. There's no reason to uh, spiritualize the disagreement. There's no reason to demonize the person who sees it sees it differently than you. There's no reason to feel uh, better about yourself and worse about them or better about them and worse about yourself. There's not, there's just, you don't have to do any of that. Mm. You just say, man, here, it, this is a toughie. 
This is a toughie. I think Romans chapter 14 is incredibly helpful. Each person should be convinced in their own mind. Mm-hmm. That's what Paul says. He's, he's, he's navigating all kinds of difficult dilemmas that are creating tension and conflicts in the church. And the apostle Paul does not come in and say, this is right and this is wrong. He, what he says is, this is how you approach it. Be convinced in your own mind. And in that, you are going to live in peace and model Christ-likeness with each other. Mm-hmm. I also find some comfort on that topic of just recognizing that the Bible is abundantly clear in what is essential for us to agree on. We Mm -hmm. know that we are saved by grace through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and not not based on our own merits or the good that we do, but in who Jesus is. That those kinds of mm-hmm. things that are essential for us to agree on as yeah. followers of Jesus are clear. And I trust that in some of these other topics where there is a little bit um, of muddiness in interpretation, that those are not the things that are essential for us to agree on. Yeah. And so I agree with you 100% on that. The Bible is abundantly clear on all kinds of things. It's not at all clear on a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Like this is one where people could say, I don't feel like it's clear. Well, I get it. I understand. It's 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 hard work. There's lots of other things that aren't clear too. Like Paul says in Corinthians we're going to judge angels. Uh could you expound on that please? <laughs> well, maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Maybe I know, maybe I don't know. But that's that's not addressed anymore. Like I I don't know what it is. What is it going to be like at the end times? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there are a lot of different views. Is it abundantly clear? Oh, I man, I don't know. There's a, there's there's, there's a lot that we don't totally understand about that. How did the Holy Spirit speak to people in the New Testament? As the Spirit says, you know, we, see, we read that numerous times in Acts. Well, it doesn't tell us. I don't know. It's not, it's not clear. It's not, it's not explained. So they seem like areas where we do well to seek yeah. wisdom, to yes. seek good interpretation, but not to hold it with such a clenched fist yeah. that we're not open to the idea that our own interpretation might not quite be exactly what was intended by Absolutely. God or the, the writer of that scripture. We're going to hold on to orthodoxy uh, with closed hands. We're going to hold on to the essentials with closed hands. Uh, we're going to hold on to everything else with humility, with open hands, and we're going to hold on to each other tightly. I, I I think that's I think that's pretty clear. Now that doesn't answer all the questions, and we're going to dive in and talk about that. But I just kind of want to first start with what does it mean to really follow and be like Jesus in this? Mm-hmm. That's that's what's important to me. Mm-hmm. The whole point of studying Scripture is to know Jesus. I mean, Jesus one time kind of went off in a really appropriate way against the Pharisees, like you study the Scriptures because you think in them you're going to find eternal life, but they all point to me. The whole point, the only reason to study Scripture is to know. Jesus, mm-hmm. to know Jesus and to just experience the life that he gave his life for you to have. Mm-hmm. So that's why we do it. Okay. So that, I think that covers well an attitude mm-hmm. towards topics like this and a disposition about how we, uh, we're, we're just going to accept that we may not come to the same conclusion as other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talk a little bit more about what do you do now? What do you do with that? Yeah. yeah. How do you actually you come to your do own conclusion? Research. Okay. And let me just offend everybody out there <laughs> YouTube is not research. Mm hmm. What you read on your social media feed is not research. Um, Whether or not you're reading articles may or may not be research, depending on the kinds of articles. But let me just tell you, while what you're doing is you're receiving information, but that's not research. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a very popular guy out there. On uh, on YouTube, his name's Mike Winger. He's a uh, Calvary Chapel pastor. Seems like a great dude. I have zero doubt whatsoever that he loves Jesus and loves the Bible. If you were watching hours, you could watch 12 hours, literally 12 hours of him teach on this passage. If you do that, guess what you're not doing? Research. You're not doing research. If you listen to me talk about this for eight or 12 hours. Guess what you're not doing? Research. You're not doing research. Mm-hmm. You're you're listening, you're, you're, you're processing voice. information, you're value. And I'm not saying that there's no value in that, but I'm just saying you're not doing research. And we're in a time period in our country for whatever reason that people have bought into the idea that reading things online and watching videos is research and it's not. You're not doing 
you're not doing research for sure if you're not reading scholars and you're not doing research if you're not reading them and then reading the sources that they read and check into it. Like if you never read the footnotes and if you never go to the sources that are in the footnotes, you're not yet doing, you're not yet doing research. Mm -hmm. If you're not reading peer reviewed stuff, if you're not reading how other scholars interact with that and respond to that, you're not doing research. So if you listen to me preach and you're like, man, that seems like Rick seems like a great argument. I don't know how anybody could disagree with that. I'm in, right? Love it, but you haven't done research. If you do that with Mike Winger, guess what? You haven't done research. Now go read those scholars that he references. Read the books that I reference. Read, dig in and evaluate it for yourself. And that's how you start to do research. If you don't want to do that, if you don't have time to do that, that's okay. Honor Ridge Church pays me to do that. Mm. This is my job. This is my career. It's part of what it's a it's a necessary precondition for me to be able to get up and to be able to be able to teach. I have to do research. If you don't have time to do the research, that's okay. That's totally okay. But if you don't have time to do that, you absolutely can't make this a first-tier issue that you would fight about, mm -hmm. whether you are affirming or disaffirming of whatever our practice is. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I hope I don't come across too strong, but I want to be really, really clear. I want to be really, really clear about this. Mm -hmm. um, and it's probably not a fair expectation that everybody is going to be able to have the time to dig in in the way as somebody who is, their career demands it mm -hmm. and allows for it. And it's okay with these secondary issues mm -hmm. to yes. to dive deep into the ones that matter to you that yes. you've got a connection with or that mm -hmm. you're particularly interested in, mm -hmm. and uh, and maybe not in other ones, and mm -hmm. and uh, that's that's not a fault in discipleship. Sure, as long as we're starting from the place of of an adherence to scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would just say it's not it's you're. I I wouldn't say you've done research if you've only if you've only read one side and I and I tried to be honest with that with the congregation this weekend for too long I only looked into one side and I only wanted to try and understand uh, one side um, and I bought into the propaganda that said everybody on the other side they're liberal mm -hmm. everybody if you if you even consider the other side you're taking a step towards affirming all kinds of sin like affirming same-sex marriage um, the the hermeneutic the way to read the Bible that leads you to affirm women and teaching and leadership is the same hermeneutic that affirms a full endorsement of um, of all kinds of sexual sin and 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 so like I just kind of took that for granted, and I never, I never said, "Can you show me?" Mm. I never said, "Tell me, tell me how that's the case." And I, I, I just, I just accepted it. I went with it, and for the majority of the big chunk of my career as a pastor, as a youth pastor, and so it was never really a big deal. Women were able to teach and lead because even the dudes were <laughs> were were technically minors or adolescents, and so it was. So I never had to deal with it. But then I became a pastor with with of adults doing a camp, being being a campus pastor in Utah, and and I was still just kind of just in that camp, sharing what I had read, what my best understanding was, until I was just punched in the brain by that question: mm -hmm. well, What do I do? Mm -hmm. What do I do with all the people? who I know love Jesus and love the Bible and take it just as seriously as I do, and they see it differently. Mm -hmm. And so, well, let me try and understand what convinced them. And whether, wherever you're at on this issue, if you're if you're wanting to know, how do, I, how do I stay in relationship? How do I honor other people? What do I do when people disagree? Do your best to understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And you know that you have hit the mark when someone can says, when someone who you disagree with feels like you're able to represent their position without them having to correct you. Mm -hmm. That's when you you don't have to agree with it, but you understand it and mm -hmm. you can represent it. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, I just speaking on a different topic mm -hmm. somewhat and uh, and speaking a little vulnerably, I haven't particularly enjoyed being um, a little bit of of getting a little more attention as a female pastor in the midst of this conversation, uh, and yet, would you do me a favor mm -hmm. and and affirm that being a female pastor 
in a Bible-believing evangelical church does not imply any slippery slope towards liberalism. Um, It grieves me when someone hears what I do for a living and makes immediate assumptions Mm -hmm. that I must also have a liberal view on sexual matters or on Mm -hmm. uh, not taking Mm -hmm. the Bible seriously, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Our our decision as a church to go in this direction has been made with a full commitment to Mm -hmm. Scripture and has been made for biblical reasons. And uh, and I personally and and other women that I I know I'm serving with here Mm -hmm. are serving with a complete uh, dedication yeah. to the authority of Scripture and a very conservative view of theology in the Bible. Can, can you talk a little bit about how this issue has become so enmeshed mm-hmm. with liberalism and feminism? I would, I would love to talk about that. And first, I, wanna, I want everybody out there to know that our church's decision, and this has nothing to do with you, it actually started, began, it began before you were even on staff, mm-hmm. you were volunteering in women's ministry, but um, it it really began in earnest before you before you came on staff. So you are not the poster child mm-hmm. for this. Thankfully, um, I don't the, want to be. That. I don't know anybody who takes the Bible more seriously than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are you were a serious student of, of of the Word. I think a brilliant teacher of the Word. Your last sermon that you gave uh, in the Devoted series was fantastic Mm, it was just so good so i mean it is clearly not the case that you have an anti-bible agenda (laughs) or that you have some sort of um um agenda regarding changing sexual ethics but that's just not a part of this issue it is categorically a different issue and I know, like I talked to somebody th- this weekend and says, I've been told that that's what this is about. And I understand that. There are people who have a bigger platform than I do, a bigger microphone than I do, and they've been saying that for a long, long time. The problem is it's just not true. It's factually not true and cannot be demonstrated to be true. Mm-hmm. So why do you see that that people have come to make certain stereotypes or assumptions that uh, that women in leadership may lead a church down a slippery slope into other well, poor decisions. Prepare to be bored. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to nerd out, and we're going to do a little history. And I, I'm afraid it'll be boring, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll share with you, I'll share with you what I discovered throughout this throughout this process. Um, first off. Slippery slopes are logical fallacies. Read any logic textbook. A slippery slope is not an argument. It is a logical fallacy in the same way that an ad hominem argument is a logical fallacy. They're not accepted, right? Now, there are pathways, but there are no such thing as slippery slopes, right? Um, so if you're using that, just know you're appealing to a logical fallacy if you keep bringing up slippery slope it's that's not how this works um complementarianism as a term was coined in 1988 uh it really the complementarianism movement probably began about 19 i think it was 1975 uh, yeah 1975 with george knight's book on gender roles um but complementarianism actually didn't become a thing until the early to mid 80s. And then that term was coined in 1988. Here's an interesting fact that I think a lot of people don't know. Complementarianism is younger than the average age of an evangelical pastor in America. Mm. It is not an ancient position. It is not the oldest position. It is it is younger than an egalitarian or a position or a um, it's younger than um, uh, affirming no restrictions on women in leadership. It's younger than that by centuries. That doesn't mean it's wrong. The age of it doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just it's a lot newer than people realize. Mm-hmm. And if someone said, but wait a second, but the. It's been around for a long time that only men in leadership. That's right. That was based on patriarchalism. Um, But complementarianism is something relatively is something relatively new. Why do I share that? Well, after excuse me, after World War II, um, when uh, men were returning home for the war, our nation decided that 
we really need to make space for these men who are returning in the workforce, and we need to do everything that we can to help them thrive as they return. I think that's beautiful. I mean, that, what an incredible thing to recognize. These men just went off. They they put their lives on hold. They engage in all kind of traumatic things. If you're watching, like, I don't know if anybody's watching Masters of the Air right now, uh, if anybody's ever watched Band of Brothers or something like that. These, that whole generation are heroes. Mm. And the things that um, that men went through in war, they deserve respect and profound gratitude. The fact that our nation at the end of World War II it's like we got to do everything we can to help these guys thrive as they survive. I think that's that's something that's easy to respect mm-hmm. and appreciate and celebrate. Sure. So what that meant was women who were in the workforce during the war effort left the workforce. And um, what became even more ingrained and institutionalized in our culture were gender roles, although that wasn't a term that anybody used. I don't think that term was really coined or or used broadly until George Knight's book in 1975. But what you see is a real kind of distinction between men and women um, in the home and in society that's just reinforced. At the same time, Europe went the absolute opposite direction. Women were viewed because of the leadership of women and how society had to rely on women leading, they were encouraged to continue in that. Mm -hmm. And so European churches affirmed women in leadership. American churches went the opposite direction. And listen, this is not like an egalitarian talking point. This is not a liberal talking point. You can read about this um, in Michelle Lee Barnwell's book, neither egalitarian or complementarian. Did I get that wrong? Is it neither complementarian or egalitarian? It's neither nor. (laughs) I can't remember which one, which term comes first. George Knight talks about this in his book that was published in in 1975. And I actually have have a... first edition copy <laughs> of that it's it, they're not in print anymore uh, but uh if you work you can you can find you can find a copy um so this is this is nothing new so you've got that right this is what men do this is what women do the united states is going on a different trajectory than 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 europe in that we see a major cultural shakeup from the 50s into the 60s and the 70s what is going on in the united states at this time you're seeing a widening gap between youth culture and adult culture. Youth culture is relatively new, but the differences between youth culture and and the adult culture is rapidly expanding. You see that in the music industry. You see that in the proliferation of drug use. You see that in um, the rapidly changing sexual ethics and mores that are taking place. Um, You see major racial tensions taking place and evolution uh, in our country about that and the, and the civil rights movement. Um, our nation goes through the Korean War. Our nation goes through the, uh, is, is in the Cold War. Our nation goes through the Vietnam War. There is, um, there's all kinds of uncertainty. There's economic uncertainty. There's political uncertainty. You have things like Watergate. I mean, there's a lot going on. There is an article from the, I think it's it's a Dallas newspaper in 1973 talking about the burnout of pastors and the number of pastors who are wanting to quit the ministry mm. because it was so, such a challenging time. Mm. Now, I can only read about that. I didn't, I'm not old enough to have lived through it. Some of the people who are listening are like, yeah, I kind of remember. I, I, mm. I lived through that. There's all kinds of things going on. It had to be so hard mm. to be in church a leadership at that time and understand what's going on. It's going on. Mm-hmm. You have the you have a gender revolution where women are wanting to be seen as equal, and we have to be honest with ourselves: women were not seen as equal. The right of women to vote is relatively recent. Mm-hmm. Women could not buy a home without a man co-signing, a husband or father mm-hmm. on the. A woman couldn't get a a, could not get a credit card. Like it is, women did not have the same. The, the, the same equal treatment in the world as men did. All of this is up for grabs all at once. Race, gender, sex, adult culture, youth culture, politics, war, domestic uh, violence. How many bombs were going off in the 1970s? I mean, it, it, is, it is major. Mm-hmm. It is chaotic major. It is absolutely chaotic. 
And I got to tell you, I think I would choose leading through COVID over leading <laughs> through that. Yeah. I, I do not envy, I do not at all envy what leaders had to navigate during that time. So how does this relate yeah, chaos to this? Chaos craves to, it, clarity. That's right. So there was a, an environment set up for that. All right. So also at this time in American church history, you have primarily, you have two, you have three big groups. You've got mainline Protestants, fundamentalists, and neo-evangelicals. And so Billy Graham would be in the an example of a neo-evangelical. Um, you've got, um, and you've got the, the mainline Protestants and, and you've got the fundamentalists. And they're all kind of, they're all trying to find their way through this and they're all kind of duking it out with each other through this. Mainline Protestants had a view of scripture that it wasn't totally authoritative, wasn't totally in, inspired. They, they had embraced that a number of years uh, prior to this to this season that we're, that we're now uh, describing. And they were what many people would call more liberal. Um, they were affirming of evolving sexual ethics. Um, they were also affirming of racial equality. They were also fir- affirming of gender equality and also a more suspicious lower view of scripture that they would not call it inspired or authoritative. Mm-hmm. So you've got that. They've got the fundamentalists, right? They have a high view of scripture. Um, maybe, uh, but a different view of nuance and education than say the neo evangelicals, right? Um, and the fundamentalists were more, um, I'm going to use the term fortress mentality, isolated, kind of more of a hostile engagement with culture, neo, neo-evangelicals, a little bit different engagement and culture, wanting to understand, contextualize the gospel and culture, right? And certainly not agreeing with the mainline Protestants, agreeing with the fundamentalists on other things, but how to engage in culture, very, very different, mm-hmm. right? And so there's not unity between those three major Christian groups in the United States in the backdrop of all the other chaos. That we've mm-hmm. that we've talked about. You see this really play out. You see this really play out with race relations and uh, the the debates on on gender equality. Um, a lot of the more fundamentalist groups were against desegregation. Uh, they began opening private schools, private Christian schools, to do an end around. Um, desegregation. Um, they were still teaching on the on the. Uh, I mean, if we could go look at sermons, I could I could share with you articles. I mean, just really heartbreaking stuff or how they're using the Bible to promote basically um, racial tensions, racial intolerance, and, and and keeping separate. One of the main reasons, one of the main reasons that changed is the IRS took away the tax exempt status from. Christian institutions that practiced segregation. Hmm. Bob Jones University is an example of that. They caved and uh, desegregated in order to get their tax-exempt status back. Hmm. And so you see a number of churches, because of political pressure, financial pressure, um, bend towards that. And so to affirm, um, to affirm racial equality. Right, and so this is a difficult time, and and just talking about right here, understandable if I'm accused of being too simplistic, but this is a short conversation. We're trying to talk about a big, complex thing. Same kind of thing is happening with with gender. Many church leaders, um, many theologians, many pastors say, you know what, women are equal. Right, um, the uh, there's a lot of things that could not be agreed with with second wave feminism. But what could not be denied is, yes, women are equal to men and deserve the same value and dignity as men, right? Which actually was not a historic or traditional view of women by many church fathers and and leaders. And maybe at a future meeting, you'll have an opportunity to share some of that. Too many theologians and church leaders over the centuries were more like Aristotle than they were like Jesus. And we'll get into that, and maybe we'll get to that in another podcast. Maybe we'll get into that in a um, in a church family meeting, so people people could see that there's some really ugly, nasty things said about women by 
people who I would consider heroes of the faith mm. because they were more influenced by Greek philosophy. Check this out. They were more influenced by their culture than they were by Christ. Uh-huh. So that's a conversation for another time. So you see the church is kind of is wrestling through this. The, the, so what ends up happening is that these three different groups, fundamentalists, neoconservatives, and mainline Protestants began to evolve from three groups to two groups. Fundamentalists and neo-evangelicals came together. The thing, they came together over really two things, the inerrancy of scripture and the fight against abortion, right? So the pro-life movement and a high view of scripture, they came together. And so they weren't called fundamentalists. They weren't called neo-evangelicals. They dropped the neo, and this is now evan- evangelicals, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a kind of a hard-fought uh, battle to affirm racial equality, blacks, whites, everyone. But that's now that's now embraced. Um, there was a tumultuous acceptance of men and women are equal. That's now embraced. But that statement that men and women are equal, that affirmation that's now being clearly taught and affirmed, we're now in the mid seventies. That that's this is this is embraced. Um, it's built on a long history of patriarchalism that treated women as though they weren't equal. And so now we have an affirmation that women are equal, but we have this long historic practice where they weren't treated as equal. So what, what do we do? Is it, is it, is it sufficient to simply affirm it or do we need to change the practice? So there's a, there's a big debate. There's a big debate going on in that. And sometimes we are too simplistic And this is an area where I think we became too simplistic. There's the mainline Protestants. There's the liberals who have a lower view of scripture. They're affirming of evolving sexual ethics. They're affirming of racial equality and they're affirming of gender equality and women's full inclusion and leadership. And so all those things got associated with liberalism, a high view of scripture really helped by George Knight's book, 1975 on gender roles that yes, men and women are equal, but this is the first time in history, men and women are equal, but they have different gender roles, which is why men can lead and women can't. That did not exist. That idea was not out there basically till 1975. Mm-hmm. And so that got associated with being conservative with some really kind of messy understanding of race that we're still working out right now. Mm-hmm. And so if you're liberal, you have a low view of scripture, you have an evolving sexual ethic, you might even be for abortion, and you think women can be in leadership. If you're a conservative, you have a high view of scripture. You think men and women are equal, but only men can lead. And what's unfortunate, what's unfortunate is that the view of men and women was associated with conservatism or liberalism when really I think we should have been wrestling with what is the Bible really trying to teach us instead of just lumping them into these simplistic categories. Mm -hmm. Because no one would say, none of us would say, the liberals were wrong to affirm that whites and blacks are equal. That was not, that's just true and that's good, right? That's true and that's good. And for some reason today, we no one is associating that with a liberal view of scripture, but the way we engage men and women in leadership is still tied to a liberal view of scripture. And I think that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And that's actually committing a logical fallacy and it's called the genetic fallacy. And you're, you're dismissing something based on where it came from instead of the merits of the argument. And so, it's my hope that we can break up with that fight and that dispute and that chaos that really was at its climax in the 70s and recognize we have a high view of scripture. It's possible to have a high view of scripture and be wrong about stuff that's evident with race relations in our history. Um, and so let's dig in and let's do our best to understand what scripture teaches. Mm-hmm. It's so in an attempt to win the culture wars in our country, people opted for control and power, and we're all gonna galvanize around inerrancy, and these other issues were latched onto. If you believe in a high view of scripture, you have to believe in six-day literal creationism. 
you have to believe that only men can lead. And that's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate that that happened. Really what we should have been doing is holding up scripture, encouraging people to be like Jesus and say, let's just keep going back to scripture to understand these things, Mm -hmm. but not divide people into those who believe the Bible and those who don't believe the Bible, those who honor the Bible and those who don't honor the Bible based on whether or not they see things the way that I do. Mm -hmm. We're still learning to break up with that. And and I hope that we fully will, although I know it's a big ask, I know it's tough, but there's a lot of stuff that's going on. There's There's a lot of stuff that's tied in with this, and if you really wanna dig in, Religious organizations and institutions are not immune from acting in the world's way. And one of the reasons that I did not know how I could be raised in the Southern Baptist Church, go to have a be educated in a Southern Baptist college and in the Southern Baptist seminary is because you weren't allowed. You were not allowed to take the other side seriously. It was not engaged. It was utterly shut down. And if you tried to take that seriously, you were fired from Southern Baptist institutions. You could not be in a position of leadership. You could not even be in the group. You had to leave. You're kicked out. Mm -hmm. And we still see those kind of things happening right now. Oh, you see it differently? You're kicked out. You can't be... You can't be a part of this. And so this is the largest largest non-Catholic denomination in the United States. What they do has big sway, Mm. has a really, really big sway. And we're seeing the ripple effects of that. We're seeing the the ongoing residue of all of that right now. I grew up in that culture. And so it's my responsibility what I read and don't read. It's my responsibility what I dig into and try to understand. But one of the reasons it was just easy to never honestly look at the other side is because of an addiction to power and control by those in leadership, keeping those people out as a way to keep power. Mm. I think that's something that we should repent of and grieve. Mm -hmm. It's not good. So what are we doing in our church? Well, if you, if you listen to the, to the sermon that I gave and you just think that I'm wrong. Okay. I love you. I want you here. I want you totally involved, totally engaged. That's allowed. You're allowed to disagree. We're not. We're, we're not. We're, we're not going to try to have power over each other. We're not going to try to engage in in controlling one another. That's not what we're going to do. Listen, if that's really what you think is the right thing, that's fine. This is a secondary issue. The what we're going to do our best is to honor Jesus and and represent him as his ambassadors in this community and around the world because we want to see people come to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're going to disagree on all kinds of things. Totally fine. It does not affect my view of you. Mm-hmm. So we've done a deep dive now mm-hmm. into kind of the history of the rise of yeah. different schools of thought, complementarianism, yeah. egalitarianism, and how women are mm-hmm. viewed in the church, specifically in the evangelical church. And and before that kind of looked at mm-hmm. a, a disposition of how to approach a difficult topic like this when people disagree. There's one last thing that I want to cover. Um, and I do want to mention, I think the most important thing mm-hmm. to, to hold in all of this is that our church has arrived on this for mm-hmm. biblical reasons. And, yes. and we're not talking yes. about that as much on the podcast right now because that was a hundred percent of the focus of your sermon and yeah, so if anyone has lingering questions l- on that please go back and, and re-listen or reread that message let me just say this again we did arrive at this for biblical reasons that doesn't mean that we think the other people are un- the people who disagree are unbiblical we disagree on what we believe biblical writers were trying to communicate we just disagree on what we think Paul was trying to communicate. We're not saying the other side doesn't take the Bible seriously. I believe absolutely they, they take the Bible seriously. One of the reasons that I wanted to go through that big history is I want people to know this, that this issue of men and women and leadership is a proxy war between fundamentalists and classical evangelicalism. And it doesn't mean that if you affirm um, women in leadership, you're on one side in the in the war, and if you don't affirm women in leadership, you're on the other side of the war. That's not what I'm saying. Like just good-hearted, peace-loving, gentle, Jesus-like people are gonna see it different, totally fine. But there are power structures in the church world in America who are using this to inflame people's anxieties and fear to try to get power and control. And this is what I want us to do, say, we're not gonna play your game. If you guys want to go do that, go do that. We're not doing that. And the way that we don't do that, the way that we don't participate in it is simply this. We don't fight. 
Mm. We don't engage in factions and we don't divide. We're totally okay with drawing lines. We are not okay with building walls. We're totally okay with saying, yeah, you see it differently than I do. Love you. <laughs> We're just not going to fight over it. You know, one of the things I didn't have time, Faye, to talk about uh, in, the, in the sermon was that there was an imperial uh, order against uh, in the first century that began with Augustus that when there was a dispute, a legal dispute between men, wives were not allowed to get involved. Hmm. Wives were not allowed to publicly intervene. So when Paul says, I am not permitting a woman to teach or exercise or assume authority or usurp authority to authentain a man, which is a very negative view. It's not a positive view. It's like strong arming um, that it's very possible that what he's saying is, listen, the gospel reputation is on the line in our culture. Women, while these men are fighting, if you try to usurp control, if you try to jump in and domineer and try and take over, the people around us are going to see us as disregarding the law. That's going to destroy our reputation. We're absolutely not going to do to do that. And I don't think that's the only factor at play, but I do think that's a that's an ingredient in the soup. If you read Paul carefully, if you read for Peter carefully, you'll see that they're they're very cognizant of the church's reputation and the community. We want people to, if you live out the gospel so that people have nothing to say against you. Uh, it's a big deal. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's a really, really big deal. We are not going to just flaunt. It's never acceptable to flaunt freedom in Christ and disregard the culture and the government, and the, and the laws in which you live. And if you go back to the beginning of chapter two, Paul says, hey, listen, you're going to pray for kings. I want you to pray for those in authority over you. The whole goal is so that you live peaceful, quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. And then he doubles down, does the gospel again, and then he's giving out these, these implications. If you think about it like that, well, that makes a lot of sense. If a woman intervening um, in disputes violated the law, he'd say, listen, but I'm not, one of the reasons I'm not allowing that is because it undermines what I just said about living peaceful, quiet lives and honoring the government above you and praying for them. So that's the context. It fits the context. And there might be people out there who are just yelling back at our podcast. Like, how am I supposed to do this? You just go read books. You do, you do research. You did, you you dig in Mm -hmm. and I can give you a list of books to, I can give you a list of books to, to read Mm -hmm. uh, on this. You could start with uh, "Tell Her Story" by Nijay Gupta. The second book you could, I would say, uh, I would say to to check out is um, "Nobody's Mother" by Sandra Galan. Just start there, and if you want more, I can give you I can give you a whole bunch more. But you're going to find a bunch of footnotes. Go check out those footnotes. <laughs> That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to I like to dig in and go go find the original sources and see what was actually being said there. Mm-hmm. So we've already gone way longer than we intended to, but I just want to take just a couple minutes for one final topic on this, Mm -hmm. that by arriving at the understanding that the Bible is not not limiting women in certain roles Mm -hmm. and saying that both men and women can serve in these leadership roles, We, the church, you specifically, mm-hmm. not intending to convey that there's no difference between men and women. Oh, no way. <laughs> I Like, I've never understood. I've never understood the view that there's no difference between men and women. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, I mean, the people who say that, I don't think they mean and biologically. Clearly there is. But, but spend time with women. Spend time with men. You're going to see a difference. Mm-hmm. Now, the challenge is now define those differences. I don't know how to do that. Like I could, we could talk about things that are statistical probabilities, things that are typical, but you're always going to find uh, women who are different than how you're going to define what it means to be a woman. And you're going to find men who are different than how mm-hmm. you might define what it means to be a man. It's because it's hard to talk about it without disentangling ourselves from our culture sure. and our and our cultural norms and mores and expectations. And so but I think God had yeah. clear design for designing the human race to have two different genders Absolutely. that complement each other. 
And in that sense, it's kind of sad that the complementarian term came to stand for something else because um, it's absolutely true and evident that men and women can Mm -hmm. each bring different ways of thinking, different styles, different just um, starting places to the table in a way that beautifully complements each other. That's that's exactly right. And so people can think that I'm wise or foolish or they could be mad at me or whatever, but I don't call myself an egalitarian. You know what I think of myself as? A complementarian. Uh-huh. And I it's it's not complementarity unless both men with their strengths and weaknesses and vulnerabilities are present and women with their strengths, weaknesses and vulnerabilities are present. We need both men and women in the home. I think we need both men and women in education. I think we need both men and women in all aspects of society and in um, and in the church. And so if you only have one sex in leadership, I don't see how that's complementarity. It's 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 <laughs> it's only complementarity if you have both. So that's why I still love the term, the label mm-hmm. complementarianism. It just comes with. It's a great All term. kinds of things that I couldn't, <laughs> that, that I'm just not, in, that wouldn't describe me in, uh-huh. in, my, in my view. But yeah, no, men and women are totally different. And so like an honest look, and an, like, I, I think Titus is, is great. Um, an honest look is that men and women are not interchangeable, but they're both indispensable. Mm. They're, men and women are not interchangeable, but they're both indispensable. So I'm in the view that, yeah, I, I, I don't believe, I don't believe that the meaning of the text is that there should be restrictions on women in teaching and leadership. And yet, I also affirm that women have a different kind of impact than men. The, the studies are in. It's the same in the United States as it is in Scandinavian countries. Um, if a child is the first in the family to come to faith, there's something like a 12% chance that the rest of the household will come to church and come to faith. Hmm. It skyrockets to like 20% if the mom is the first one, and it's somewhere around 90-something percent if the dad Hmm. is. And so men have an impact and an influence that far exceeds women in some areas. And then women have an impact and an influence that far exceeds men in other areas. It's one of the reasons that we need both. Mm -hmm. And I I cherish and celebrate. having both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking extra time this morning to kind of walk us through just a, an mm-hmm. attitude about how we approach this topic and, and other similarly mm-hmm. uh, difficult topics to interpret, as well as uh, the history mm-hmm. through this and the importance of fulfilling God's design for men and women both using their gifts. You bet. It's been a blast. Mm-hmm.